I'm a little too young to really know the hate of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. And I know it's real. I know I was around for some of it. I know that my dad will not wear green even on Christmas. I know that being around L.A. my whole life, knowing how much the Celtics are truly hated, I know that Lakers-Celtics is real, at least it was. It's not anymore. And we're going to get into a whole lot of that here. Coming up, hour number two of the Jim Rome Show. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim while he is probably nestled by the fire up in Wisconsin trying to stay warm outside his frozen lake. Meanwhile, it is nothing frozen here in sunny SoCal. 68 degrees, perfect day to day in Southern California. Uh, today is also, in SoCal, today is a, a big day on the calendar in horse racing at Santa Anita. Uh, it's opening day. And if you don't live here, it, it's impossible to know what that day means. But you'll get an idea of it when you watch the Rose Bowl on January 1st to see what the San Gabriels look like with the Snowtop Mountains and the most pristine field in America. When the Rose Bowl game happens, that's going to be a day where I think America can understand a little bit when Michigan and Alabama get together in the college football playoff. It's funny to me, too, like the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl is big ego, right? I mean, it's huge ego, and and they're borderline archaic in some of their policy, but you know what? They back it up every single time. It's kind of like the Masters, right? The the Rose Bowl and Augusta National may be the only two entities in American sports that can get away with their antics because they back it up every single year. It's amazing. It's amazing uh, the deals uh, that the, the Rose Bowl and, and Augusta National have going uh, because we buy in every year. I don't know if it's just the fact that we're mesmerized by the beauty of nature and how it intersects with tradition. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what... But I'm on board. I love the Rose Bowl. I love the Masters. I love opening day at Santa Anita. And that's what we got here on this Boxing Day. I don't know what boxing means, what Boxing Day is. I know it's there's a bunch of big soccer games um, going on in the U.K., and I know it's a big deal in Canada. Shout out to our Canadian listeners uh, hanging out with us. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what that means. I know it's the day after Christmas. I know that I am at work today to get out of my household chores. This is easier to talk sports today than it is to try to pick up trash and clean up and, and start taking down the Christmas lights and everything that is going to end up happening at some point. But that is uh, that, that can is being kicked down the road as far as possible today. Honey, I, I got to work today. I, I have to watch uh, Brock Purdy lay an absolute egg against the Baltimore Ravens last night where Lamar Jackson and won himself the MVP. I got to watch these NBA games, and there were a thousand of them. At some point, I had a split screen going on, watching two games at once, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I don't have any action on these games. Am I just a true sports sicko? Is that what's going on here, that I'm that invested in what's going on? Maybe. Maybe on Christmas Day, um, that's what's happening. And thank goodness, my little girl at home is two years old and was so tuckered out from playing with all her toys early in the morning, she was ready for a nap all afternoon. And that meant me having some eggnog and checking out uh, uh, some good football yesterday, uh, some good NBA yesterday. But at the same time, I was left with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth when I sit back and think about the Lakers and, and the prime franchise that they have always been that seemingly are no more. The Grinch came to L.A. yesterday. Yep, spoiled Christmas, dressed in green, uh, rocking an eight on his jersey, by the way. Uh, on the same day, the Lakers once again 
remembered the Mamba. They, they had T-shirts for, for Kobe again. Not totally sure what that's all about, uh, but another opportunity for the Lakers uh, to try to take advantage of that. We know how great Kobe was in those Christmas Day games, but uh, Chris Porzingis came in, absolutely sold the show. 28 points, 11 boards, routed the Lakers. Celtics win that game 126-115. But I, I think that at this point, calling Lakers-Celtics a rivalry just feels contrived. And there, there's no, there's no substance to that. There was, there was in the '80s. There was again in the 2000s. There isn't anymore. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it when you talk about two teams that I think are in completely different tiers right now. It's been over a decade since the Lakers and Celtics have played a game that's mattered. Any meaningful matchup? We're talking. You got to go back 2010. The last time there was a meaningful matchup between the Lakers and the Celtics. The Lakers, they're, they're not even in the same class as the Celtics. Boston's better players, better coach, better front office, much better record. They have a competitive culture. I mean, they really do. A culture that constitutes winning. It's, it's not about flair. It's about winning. I feel like Lakers-Celtics is the ultimate sizzle versus steak debate, right? The Lakers are the sizzle. The Lakers are the flash, the flair, the glitz. They got LeBron, who's about to turn 39 years old, who is doing things. Like LeBron is amazing. I get that. I think that there's a lot of Laker fans that are not going to buy into LeBron being an all-time great Laker. He's an all-time great player. I don't think he's an all-time great Laker. But for LeBron to be doing what he's doing at this age, you can't deny it. It's incredible. I think Anthony Davis, when AD is right, he's one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, LeBron is still a top 10 player in the league when he's going good. Anthony Davis is too. There's just not much else in the cupboard. I mean, are you telling me that Austin Reeves is supposed to be that next guy? D'Angelo Russell is supposed to be that next guy? They're not. I mean, this is the Lakers. This is the Lakers. And I, I don't know that the Lakers are the Lakers anymore. But I know that the Celtics are the Celtics and are on the verge of maybe something more. I mean, yes, Porzingis had a big night. But, I mean, Jason Tatum. This guy, bona fide star in the NBA. When you're talking about MVP candidates on a a year-in, year-out basis, Jason Tatum needs to be in that conversation as being a perennial MVP candidate. Jalen Brown, this guy is a problem. Jalen Brown is a problem. That rare wing that that has the ability to get to the hoop that's just as good as his pull-up game. He'll, He'll play some defense, too. And the thing about the Celtics, which is why they have the best record in the league, the reason why the Celtics are able to pull off so much of their success is not just the top-end star power. And, and again, I, I like Tatum. I like Porzingis. I like Jalen Brown. It's the role players. It's when you have a guy like Drew Holiday that's going to go out and, and just, just be a dude on defense, that's going to absolutely do everything he can to stop you. And he can still give you a little bit offensively too. But the guy's a stopper. How about the point guard that Derek White has become? I'm really impressed by him and the fact that, oh, yeah, he's a point guard who also defends. Al Horford, even. This guy, this is old LeBron. He's coming off the bench, still knocking down a couple of threes. But you know what? He plays defense, too, at that age. Are you noticing a trend here? The Celtics are the best three-point shooting team in the league. It's not particularly close. The best three-point shooting team in the league. But they also defend. I mean, in the NBA, this is a league that plays some defense. The Lakers do not play any. The Celtics are built on defense. I mean, while you, yes, you got the three-point scoring ability, which is a separator, and that's why they're as good as they are, but they play hard and they defend. How about the last five minutes of yesterday's game? 
Lakers just got it within 10. And again, it's it, LeBron was having a tough night. Maybe a lot of that had to do with the fact that Jalen Brown was, was all over him all night last night. But Lakers just get within 10. All you got to do at that point, down by 10 points, you got to stop at a score, and you're right back in the ball game. The Celtics went down and scored on five straight trips. Five trips in a row, the Celtics go down and score. Again, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that LeBron, who ends up, I mean, he, he was, I hesitate to say he had a rough night because he was on the verge of a triple-double when he had 16, 9, and 8. I mean, he was right there. But anybody that's watched LeBron knows LeBron was not LeBron last night because he got guarded last night. I mean, we're in this game of basketball today where it's all about threes and dunks. And at least at the NBA level, we are seeing the very best in the world. It's different at the lower levels. I mean, we could talk about the dynasty that we saw the Warriors have where Steph Curry was lighting it up. And Steph Curry, to me, is the best three-point shooter of all time. Not just for the statistics that would back up that statement right there. You watch what he does, where he shoots from, the way he creates, the way he can pull up and shoot. He does everything so, so well. But I look at that, and I feel like when you watch college basketball now, and even some other parts of the NBA, but especially in the college game, because in the NBA, pretty much every team, every team can shoot it pretty well. There's not a team that's under 35% from three in the NBA. But in college, there's a lot of teams that are. I mean, you just you might think your team is good. You might think that the math works out to where, oh, if I shoot more threes on, on more possessions, I'm going to get more points per possession, and that's going to help me win games. That's fine if you have Steph Curry. And every team has one or two guys that might be able to shoot. Very few have four. And every team is counting on five or six, it feels like, to be able to shoot the three. I mean, in college basketball, and I know I'm, I'm getting a little off subject here, and we're going to get back to Lakers Celtics rivalry in a second, but, I mean, if you look at the college game now, teams are taking close to 10 more threes a game now than they were 20 years ago. And believe it or not, shooting's gotten worse. Like in 1994, 30 years ago, the average college basketball team was shooting 35% from three. Today, 33%. So it's, it's going down. Percentages are getting worse. And scoring is about two points per game worse in college basketball today versus what it was, again, 20 years ago. It's like that three-point ball is the ultimate equalizer. And the three ball is going to give bad teams a shot. Like, if you're not very good, you can chuck some threes, get hot, and go win some games. That's why you get craziness in the NC2A tournament. That's why that stuff's going to happen sometimes. But the good teams that rely on the three are worse for it. Now, I don't think the Celtics are a team that rely on the three. They take a lot of threes, but they don't rely on it. They take a lot of good threes. And I just what Brad Stevens has built there is so impressive and just a machine. And then I look at the Lakers, and I look at the downfall. And I think about the, the, the Mamba shirts they gave the fans yesterday when it was just a week and a half ago that they were hanging a banner for that stupid, ridiculous in-season tournament that's going right up in between the George Mikan teams and the Magic and Kareem teams. There's a banner that's right in between them for an in-season championship. That'd make Kobe sick. I, I still I still can't believe the Lakers did that because this was once such a proud organization that would only celebrate championships. 
But when you start to think about the difference of the sizzle versus the steak, right now the Celtics are the steak. Celtics are prime rib. Working on our Christmas Day analogies here. Whereas the Lakers, it's just a little tinsel. Tinsel doesn't take me far. I don't get that excited about seeing the tinsel when, I, when I, you don't have the stake behind it. And what LeBron and Anthony Davis are doing is is pretty darn impressive that they're winning games at all with the supporting cast that's around them. But here's the thing about the Lakers. I mean, they're going to get their wins. I, I think the Lakers are still going to be an issue for teams to deal with in the Western Conference because you have Anthony Davis, who 40 points yesterday, LeBron James, who's still bringing it when he's about to turn 39 years old. When those two are on, the Lakers are still a tough out. But for the Lakers to win, both of those guys have to play well. And they have to be on the floor together. I mean, the Lakers, what are they lost? Five of six since that in-season tournament? Six of eight since they won that in-season tournament? That, that doesn't matter at all. Even the championship. Even the championship they won in the COVID year doesn't even feel like a title. I mean, it happened in that that tournament in Orlando that felt more like AAU basketball. Well, you know, half the teams couldn't compete because so many teams had, you know, the, the first step to, to winning there was just passing your COVID test. And everything about that championship doesn't, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like a ring. And I don't want to take it away. You still had to do it. Everybody wanted it, and the Lakers were the team that got it. But it doesn't feel like a ring when you look at the big picture of it. And you could just kind of get the sense that the Lakers have been drifting down this path that is away from the greatness and the honor and the prestige. And that rivalry of Lakers-Celtics that represents all of that just feels flimsy today. If you're a young NBA fan, I mean, if you don't really remember Paul Pierce in the wheelchair in 08, Kobe getting the redemption in 2010, if you don't remember that, you don't know anything about Lakers-Celtics. And even that was a fraction of what we saw in the 80s. It's just that's a rivalry in basketball. It's been a long time since they'd played it on Christmas Day. I don't know why it was played on Christmas Day. Maybe there was a hope that the Lakers were going to be better than this. Maybe there was a hope after the Lakers won the in-season tournament. Here they go. The Lakers are going to be a force in the West. Once again, they're still going to get their wins. But to put the Lakers and the Celtics in the same category to call it a rivalry at this point, I mean, it seems borderline ridiculous. Really disappointed uh, to see what's happened with just the acceptance of the Lakers to take in mediocrity and, and like celebrating the in-season tournament. It's it, people laugh around the country, but what that represents, I, I think, is really uh, just upsetting about how far the franchise has fallen from the glory days of that Lakers-Celtics rivalry, and that was shown once again last night. The Celtics look real. The Celtics are real. They play defense. They shoot threes. The Lakers. If LeBron or AD, if either of them as an off nighter doesn't play, just kind of feels like they don't stand a chance. We're going to continue this NBA discussion with Matt Weiner of NBA TV when we come back. So much happened yesterday. That's just one of the many games uh, that happened on Christmas Day. A great day for the league. Boy, a lot of good hoops uh, and <laughs> a lot of futility as well, which might even be worth discussing, especially uh, if you're the Detroit Pistons with 27 in a row. If they lose tonight, my oh my. All right, I'm Trent Rush in for Jim Rome. Plenty more of the Jim Rome Show when we come back here on CBS Sports Radio.
Look, day after Christmas, you got to talk NBA. So much happened. It's like the unofficial start of the NBA season it has been for years. I know that the league would probably try to tell you that the in-season tournament maybe is what kicks some things off. But really, for most fans, Christmas Day is really where the NBA season begins. And there is so much to break down on that. So we, we brought in somebody that is as good at what he does as anybody in the sports media business. Matt Weiner uh, joins us now from Turner Sports and NBA TV. Uh, Matt, first of all, thank you so much uh, for being on here but but just wanted to get your initial thoughts on when you think about Christmas Day and what we saw all across the board yesterday what was maybe the one game or storyline that jumped out to you more than anything else well first of all happy holidays uh secondly I may take umbrage with the start of the NBA season as someone who's been working on it since October (laughs) Um, but but point taken I get it there's football there's baseball playoffs there's other stuff happening out there um, the one thing I would take away, boy, there, there were a number of things to take away. I guess I'll, I'll rattle off a few, but you know, Boston is as good as advertised. Uh, I think they, they showed that the 76ers are not nearly as good without Joel Embiid in the lineup. That's kind of a no brainer. Uh, the Suns, you know, until we have Bradley Beal on the floor and can really see what they look like, uh, are a question mark, but I think they're, they're thin and I think there are real issues there. Uh, if you stayed up late night to watch Luka Doncic and the Mavericks sort of dismantle them, if you're a Suns fan, you may have come away a little concerned last night. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Matt, talking about the Suns, because this is a team with, with high expectations, right? And, and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and yes, missing Bradley Beal is a big piece. But you know, now we're starting to hear some, some chirping out there that maybe KD is unhappy with the pieces that are around him. Do you feel like that that's a, a legitimate concern, maybe to be a little worried about the Suns right now? Oh, I think it's a very legitimate concern. Uh, whether he's concerned about it or not, if you're looking in from the outside, there are, there are real issues to be resolved there. Um, and because of the way the salary cap works, you know, when they made the trade for Bradley Beal, at one point they had four $30 million players on that roster. They dealt away DeAndre Ayton in part to diversify the roster a little bit, in part to make themselves a little more flexible. But the the end result is, and this has been true for years, is when you load up on these high-end guys, you have to fill in around the edges, um, around the margins. And so far, all those parts haven't necessarily worked. And so they are thin. There's not a lot of rim protection. Um, There's not really a secondary playmaker beyond Devin Booker on that roster. Not that there aren't good players, but it it hasn't all worked yet. And, you know, without Beal on the floor especially – Teams are able to take away some stuff. Dallas is not a great defensive team, but Kevin Durant only took 11 shots last night, and that was by design from the Mavericks' point of view. You know, if if you go into the game and you say, okay, we're going to give up only 11 shots to Kevin Durant, um, but Chemezi Metu is going to take 18, you're probably okay with that if you're the Mavericks, and that's exactly what happened. While on the other hand, the, the, the Suns allowed – Dallas to shoot almost 54%. So, yeah, there there are real issues there. You mentioned another team that I think is fascinating, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. And obviously without, as you said, without MB, they're a very different team. But, you know, you're talking about the importance of that third star. I think at this point it's been well-established in the NBA. If you're going to build that super team, if you want to be that, you have to have that third guy. 
it seems like the Sixers are the one team that has the ability to add that third guy. Will they do it or not at the deadline? You'd imagine that they're in the conversation for that. They're only three games back at Boston right now. Depends how long Embiid's out, sure. But but what kind of a chance do you feel like the Sixers have to be able to get that third guy and, and make a run at Boston? Well, it depends on, on, first of all, what you think of Tobias Harris as that third guy. Um, you know, he's not been an all-star, but he's been a very good player over the course of his career. And as a third guy, he's kind of slotted in the right spot because Embiid is so good and so dominant um, when he's healthy. Look, the 76ers are really good. Tyrese Maxey has come into his own. He's filled some of the void that James Harden was left behind. Nick Nurse has done a good job running more offense through Joel Embiid, whose usage rate, which is a, a fancy analytical term for basically how many plays he finishes on a given possession, um, is as high as it's ever been and the highest in the league right now. So they're playing through him. His assists are up by nearly two a game over his career high. So when he's on the floor, obviously that all works. Is that good enough for a championship? It's close. It's close. I mean, they'll be shopping like a lot of teams, and maybe Tobias Harris is the piece because of his contract and where it is because of the number that could get moved with something to bring in someone who's maybe a little higher profile, um, maybe a little more of a secondary playmaker, maybe more of a shot creator that they need. So they don't have to lean entirely on, on Embiid, but you know they're in that position, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make something pseudo-splashy happen before the deadline. We're talking with Matt Weiner right now, Turner Sports, NBA TV, uh, as good as anybody at what he does, and it's a privilege to have him here on this day after Christmas to break down these Christmas Day games. Speaking of the Sixers, and you go back to that trade, the, the big blockbuster moving hard into the Clippers. Man, I got to tell you, I look at this deal as one of the very few times you see in sports where there may not be a clear winner or loser on a trade. It seems like it's really benefited both teams. Is that how you see it? Well, so far, yeah. I mean, long term is going to be interesting because James Harden wants an extension, right? And we've seen disgruntled James Harden in the past, and it's not great. Um, so what happens at the end of the season in L.A.? What are his options? What will the Clippers be willing to give him if it all goes well? And then the flip side of that is, is health. And Kawhi Leonard has played every game so far this season. I think that's been sort of an under-talked-about story with, with L.A. so far. He's looking for an extension as well. But his health you know, makes all the difference because the Clippers, with their big three and with a really good defense, if they're all on the floor together, that's a combination that could potentially work. So, to your point, I think the trade has worked for both teams so far. Harden and the Sixers were at an impasse. That was never going to happen. At some point, they had to just give up on him, maybe not get full value. But it also freed them to play the way they're playing now under a new coach and without that burden hanging over their heads every night. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a matter of time in so many ways uh, for for James Harden. It feels like the, the track record is there, but right now, uh, aside from the last two games, the Clippers have been playing pretty well. How about the team that's across the hall from the Clippers, the Lakers? Last night, uh, welcome Boston uh, to Crypto.com Arena, and, and my goodness, it just seems like the uh, the Celtics are just at a different level than the Lakers right now. Uh, a, a team that's a front runner in the East, the Lakers. Yes, AD and LeBron 
on who else? That's a good question. Do you feel like uh, some maybe some Laker concerns are warranted after this real struggle since that in-season tournament? Yeah, I, I think they are. And, you know, first of all, Boston's the best team in the league right now. I don't think there's any question about that. They have the best record, if you want to just go by that. They're the only top five team offensively and defensively in the NBA. They've got incredible size. Um, they can do it on both ends of the floor. And, you know, aside from maybe, you know, adding a piece or two to the bench come the deadline, they're set to make a title run. So maybe that's the wrong game to measure the Lakers on. I think there's maybe a little bit of a post-in-season tournament hangover, which is a phrase I've never used before until (laughs) this moment. Um, Maybe that's happening in L.A., but they're also not a perfect team. Uh, Still not a great three-point shooting team, which is a a little bit of a head-scratcher to me for a team that relies so much on LeBron James to have the ball in his hands and needs the floor spread for him to do his best work. Um bottom third in the league in terms of three-point shooting. Very dependent on those two guys, as you mentioned. Uh, that's a problem. But, you know, they're a good defensive team. That that always makes up for things. Um, they've, they've got LeBron. They've got Anthony Davis, so high-end stars. LeBron at 38 is as amazing and durable as he's been. The injuries certainly are a concern moving forward. How long can he sustain this? And just the fact that the Lakers are relying on a guy in his 21st year to be their best player every night, that is a lot to ask even from LeBron. So, you know, they're, they're a little flawed for sure, but also the kind of team that, you know, with those guys on the floor, probably not a lot of teams signing up to play them in a postseason. Sure. And we're, again, we're talking with Matt Weiner right now, Turner Sports, NBA TV. Um, last night as well, we saw the Miami Heat, get a win uh, without Jimmy Butler, but with Jaime Hawkins, the rookie, 31 points, 10 rebounds in his first ever Christmas Day game. How impressed are you by Jaime Hawkins? And do you feel like this is sustainable for him? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I did a Miami game, a Laker Heat game in November, I think that was. And we talked to Eric Spolster about, you know, Hawkins and his development, and he just raved about him raved about him, about the fact that you could plug him in any situation and he could play right away and knew what he was doing. He understands how to play basketball, and that sounds like a, a simple oversimplification of, of who he is, but a lot of teams are drafting on spec these days. They're drafting on you know one year out of high school, and it's largely the player's physical attributes, his length, his speed, a uh, little of what they've seen in college or, or maybe the G League, but there are a lot of situations those players haven't seen, haven't been in, and there's a huge learning curve for those guys. In this case, Miami's like, well, we just went to the finals. We're not in rebuilding mode. We're not all that interested in developing a guy and got a steal with Hakez, who has played in huge NCAA tournament games. That's one thing Spo said to me. If he were, if he were looking or, or advising a kid coming out of high school where to play, before he plays in the NBA, he wouldn't send them to the G League necessarily, even though you're theoretically, not theoretically, even though those kids are playing against other pros on a nightly basis, they're playing in largely empty gyms. This kind of player, Bacchus, has played in front of packed arenas, in front of, you know, in, in pressure-packed situations, and that shows up when he reaches the NBA. 
That's a fascinating point by Spolstra. I mean, the fact, I mean, look, two, you know, two Sweet 16s, a Final Four run. Anybody that watched Hawkeyes in college knows what he can do, and now we're seeing it in the NBA. Matt, day after Christmas, I know that you were crazy busy yesterday. Can't thank you enough for making some time for us here today. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah, good to be with you, and happy holidays again. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to Matt Weiner as well. Thanks, Matt, uh, for being with us. All right. Uh, again, we're going to continue this. He brought up some really good points. In fact, we're going to hear from Jaime Hawkes coming up in just a little bit because he had some pretty interesting quotes after last night's game. I want to get more into that. I think that's a worthy conversation. We'll do that. You can be a part of it as well. 1-800-636-8686. But before that, it's time now for a CB. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest hosts Trent Rush on CBS Sports Radio. I think we learned a lot yesterday. We really did. On Christmas Day, there was a lot that was revealed. We found out who's the best team in the NBA, and that might not even really been questioned. It's the Celtics. So we found out who's the best team in the NFL. That was a big question mark. We got that answer. It's the Baltimore Ravens who smacked the 49ers yesterday as Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, locked up the MVP case closed. I know they still have the Dolphins next week. That will be an interesting game. To me, Lamar Jackson is that guy. He is the MVP in the NFL. And I think it's a discussion worth having. I think it's over. And I think that the next guy would be Christian McCaffrey. But if you ask me, as, as great as McCaffrey is, you decide MVP is on the field in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson's team beat Christian McCaffrey's team in Week 16, no less. And, and it wasn't particularly close. Baltimore took McCaffrey out of the game. There was only so much CMC could do. Brock Purdy throws four picks. He is, I don't think he should have ever been in the MVP discussion to begin with. He certainly isn't now. Let me know your thoughts. 1-800-636-8686. That's 1-800-636-8686. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome. Today, Jim is hanging out uh, by a frozen lake up north in Wisconsin. Meanwhile, it is just absolutely perfect here in our Southern California studios. Uh, Here, excited to have you along. You can find me on X at Trent Rush Sports. I do check my Instagram as well, so it's the same handle, at Trent Rush Sports, uh, where you can be a part of the show. We just had Matt Weiner on a moment ago from NBA TV and Turner Sports, and I thought he had some really, really interesting takes um, and shared with us some uh, notes that I want to get to in a moment. But before we do that, again, I sit back and I think about what the Lakers-Celtics rivalry used to be and what that meant to sports. And I know that everybody craves it. Everybody wants it back. It's just it's contrived. It's not there. Lakers-Celtics now is not what it was 15 years ago, which is certainly not what it was 30, 40 years ago. It's just not not even close. There was real hate then. The Celtics are in a different class. And the Lakers are just not the Boston's the best team in the NBA. The Lakers are just not close to that. And for all the moments, you know, uh, Laker fans will remember, you know, Magic banking it in in 87 and what that was. There, there's no moment like that. There's no moment like that coming. Lakers-Celtics is barely a rivalry at this point, and I think the only reason why you would even call it a rivalry is because the past. But that doesn't mean it still means a lot to some of the players like Jason Tatum, who had 25 last night, that was thrilled to get a win in L.A. 
Kisan, you've talked a lot about in the past, you know, how Kobe has inspired you and to, you know, have this kind of a win on Christmas Day at Staples Center, now crypto. Uh, what is the significance of that for you? Um, it's a dream come true. I never take these moments for granted. You know, as a kid, I watched the Lakers, you know, my whole life growing up. And I always dreamed of playing in Staples Center. So um, any opportunity I get to, um, you know, I, get, I, I cherish those moments. Uh, getting to play in a building that, you know, my idol played in. That was a moment that was a dream come true. Last night uh, for Jason Tatum. But 25 points. Chris Tapps Porzingis, 28-11. Anthony Davis, 40-13. and 13. Not enough for the Lakers to beat the Celtics. 126-115. Uh, good win. A really good win for Boston. It would have been a statement for the Lakers to, to have been able to upset the Celtics. But, look, it just wasn't happening. This Lakers team is just not close. And it was a night where LeBron wasn't great. To beat the Celtics... You need AD to be great, 40 points, 13 boards, he was. You need LeBron to be great. You need Austin Reeves to play above. You need D'Angelo Russell to play above. You need all of that if you're going to take down the best team in the NBA. And right now, the Celtics not only are great at shooting the three, they defend. Lakers, at times, can play defense, too. But down the stretch, when the Lakers needed a stop, final five minutes, Lakers had just gotten in within tw- uh, within 10 Five straight trips, five straight trips, the Celtics went down and scored. Uh, other games yesterday, uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, he's the best player in the league, if you ask me. There's just not a player that can stop him. Uh, 26 and 14 at eight assists for Denver. Nuggets took care of the Warriors, 121 14. Jalen Brunson at 38. Are, are we in the, the Jalen Brunson discussion of being um, an MVP candidate? I, I think that Brunson may be in that conversation, maybe. Giannis Antetokounmpo at 32 as the Bucks lost going to New York. That was a statement win for the Knicks. So now at 17-12, and 12, I think all of a sudden you're going to start seeing some momentum back to the Knicks. It's not like the Knicks need any help in the national discussion. Uh, but, I mean, gosh, that, that franchise has been so bad for so long. That's a really big win for the Knicks to get a home dub on Christmas Day over Giannis and the Bucks. Uh, that was impressive. We haven't talked a lot about that uh, here today. But that was a very quality win uh, for Jalen Brunson. Uh, late night last night, Mavericks' Suns. Dallas goes on the road. Hands Phoenix a 14-point L, 128-114. Luka, 50 and 15 assists last night for the Dallas Mavericks. Luka goes off. There was that little skirmish in that game where Devin Booker looked like he was, you know, a little pushing and shoving. Just typical basketball stuff that happens uh, down at the baseline. If you go and watch the video, I got an alert on my phone that security interferes. This security crew overreacted in as big of a way as I have ever seen as these guys were running down like a melee was about to break out. These guys weren't even shoving. They were just kind of standing down, uh, staring at each other. That was it. Uh, but anyway, I could I could see how the Suns are frustrated, and there is reason to be frustrated if you are uh, the Phoenix Suns. But another interesting game yesterday that did not necessarily have the high-end star power. Joel Embiid didn't play for the Sixers. Um, Jimmy Butler did not play for Miami yesterday. Heat still got a home win, 119-113, in large part because of rookie. Jaime Hawkins, 31-10, and 10, and here's what he had to say post-game. 
Michael Jordan only had 30 in his first uh, Christmas game. You know, LeBron had 34. Um, does it mean anything to you to kind of be up there with some of the greats all time with, the, with a game like this on your first Christmas game? Um, yeah, I mean, to even be in that conversation is is crazy. Um, yeah, really no words. You know, you said Michael Jordan only had 30. So I don't know if that means I'm better than Michael Jordan, although I am wearing his, his, his gear right now. So, um, yeah. How did the whole league miss on Jaime Jaquez? And maybe that's because I'm in Southern California and I watch a lot of UCLA basketball, but I don't think that you need to be a follower of UCLA to know how good Jaime Jaquez is because if you watch the NCAA tournament at all, he was one of the few stars in the tournament. They came back, right? Final Four trip, two other Sweet 16s. He was the best player for UCLA for four years. And took that program from the dumps and elevated them in a big way. I like Steve Alford, but when Mick Cronin took over, different story at UCLA. That doesn't get accelerated if not for the talent and play of Jaime Jaquez, along with others. But Jaquez was the catalyst there. I mean, he was the best college player in the draft this last year. Everybody gets so caught up in how players project. The best college player in the draft fell to 18th. How does that happen? When, when you're so focused on NBA build and what are they going to be, you're, you're living on a dream. You're living on what eventually might become and in the process passing on the known commodity. You knew Jaime Jaquez was good. Anybody that watched college basketball knew Jaime Jaquez was good. And when Matt Weiner comes on this show just a few minutes ago and tells us he had a conversation with Eric Spolstra, where Spolstra said, hey, we got to look at things differently. And the value of playing college basketball is such that maybe we should give some more respect to college players coming out, maybe older college players coming out. Because for college guys, if you're looking for, for the best way to advance in your career, for a long time, it was you play one year of college basketball and then go get your bag. Go get your money playing in, in the NBA, or you go overseas, or you go somewhere else and you play against higher-level talent. But I think at some point, some of that higher-end talent is going to start staying in college basketball. There are players now with some of these NIL deals that are going to make a lot more money playing college basketball than they are going to play be playing in the G League. I mean, in the G League, a lot of guys are trying to get like 50 grand. Like That's like the number you're trying to get for a lot of players in the G League. I mean, if you can make 200, 250 overseas, like good for you to go try to do that. I'm telling you, there's some NIL, NIL deals that are paying a lot heavier sums than that. You're going to start seeing better players staying in college basketball because for some guys, they're going to make more money in the college game than they ever will playing pro ball. Because unless you get to the most upper end in Europe, unless you get to the NBA, the real money is going to be made in your college days with NIL now. It's a totally different game. And it's more high profile, and you can go to the tournament, and you play in March Madness, and you go to the Sweet 16, you go to the Final Four, and you're going to be noticed. But I think at a certain point, we're going to start seeing more players stay. And Jaime Jaquez could be the very beginning of that. I think Jaime Jaquez is going to open up the eyes of a lot of NBA scouts for not maybe wanting to pass on the known commodity 
instead of purely going after projectability. There are some players that project very highly, but you don't know what they're going to become. You knew what Jaime Hawkes was. He had 31-10 and 10 last night on Christmas Day to get a victory over the Sixers, and the Sixers are darn good. I mean, Jaime Hawkes is an impressive player, and anybody that watched college basketball knows that. But it's going to be interesting moving forward how many players now choose to come back to college basketball. They may not come back to their same team. The way the transfer portal is set up now, they may be jumping ship and going to different teams, and the, the wealth of talent could be more widespread across the game, more so than we've ever seen before. But there might be more talent in it because I think a lot of players are going to want to stay, especially when they can create essentially free agency like we're starting to see in college sports. We've seen it in college football. Matt Rule said what it cost. $2 million to to go get a a starting quarterback in the transfer portal. You're seeing it in college basketball, too. All of this is going to funnel down. And as a result, you're going to see better play in the college game. And I think you're going to see more commodities that are known from the college game make their way to the NBA and have success like Jaime Hawkes. All right. uh, I want to get back to some football conversation. The MVP race, if you ask me, is over. We saw it come to a close last night with the Baltimore Ravens absolutely torching the San Francisco 49ers. What's your take on that? Give us a phone call, 1-800-636-8686. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome here this day after Christmas on a Tuesday. Yes, I had to remind you. It is a Tuesday. It's not Monday. It's Tuesday. Monday Night Football last night. We'll break that down. You can find me at Trent Rush Sports on X. We'll get to some of your tweets. We'll get to some of your phone calls. And have some fun here on this Tuesday. Hanging out in beautiful, sunny Southern California right here on CBS Sports Radio.